0: Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Mitch Light. This episode is presented by the Well Coffee House, which is a Nashville area coffee house that provides fresh roast coffee, along with house-made pastries, breakfast, and lunch offerings. There are four locations to serve you in the Nashville area. Those are Brentwood, Green Hills downtown, and Bellevue. You can get more information at wellcoffeehouse.org. The Well Coffee House, where coffee changes lives. We thank our co sponsor, Wellspire Nationals Learning and Development Center, which is located in the Gulch. Today's news is presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family owned injury law firm. If your loved one has been hurt in an accident, call Taylor or Russell at 615 846 6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Well, it's not getting easier for Vanderbilt men's basketball. Your final from Saturday, Tennessee 66, Vanderbilt 45. The Commodores have now lost 24 games in a row against Southeastern Conference teams and saw their 1,080-game streak with a three-pointer stop. That was one of the three longest in the country, and that is now gone. Our guest line presented by Bowling Branch started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I've slept on their sheets for years and loved them. Had no clue what I was missing till I got them. They are Fair Trade certified, so they're made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to once you have the sheets. Try the mattress that was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BowlingBranch.com, which is spelled B-O-L-L, enter the promo code VANDY, and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Mitch Light joins us now. He is the sideline reporter for Vanderbilt Football. And uh, Mitch, do you have other employment secured at this time? Are you okay? You're not going
1: homeless or anything like that? I am in the I'm definitely not homeless um, it, in the comforts of actually I got booted from since it's we're recording on a, a holiday. I got booted from my home office, which doubles as my son's uh, PlayStation slash NBA 2K uh, home. So I'm, I'm actually in his bedroom now uh, while he plays NBA 2K. But no, I am. Uh, Um, last Monday was my first day at the Athletic as the managing editor for the state, basically the state of Tennessee. Uh, I think my official job is the managing editor for Nashville and Memphis. So working with our outstanding writers who cover the Titans, the Predators and the Grizzlies and doing some college stuff as well. We'll be working on some Vanderbilt stuff as time permits. Uh, you know, my, my number one job is the, is the editor, uh, of our, you know Nashville and Memphis stuff, but I will also find some time to to do some Vanderbilt stuff. I know the uh, Vanderbilt baseball has has obviously has a big following, and I know just talking to Joe Rexroad, who is one of the, our writers, did very well in the Tennessean uh, last year. You know, with, with as far as traffic, so I, I'm I'm confident that if we do some good Vanderbilt stuff. Um, you know, so some people will read it, and obviously, you do a great job with that. And we'll we'll cover it more on a day to day basis than, than I will or we will at the athletic, but we will have some Vanderbilt stuff coming in the next few months.
0: So the big question is, how do you manage your first world problems of of getting booting out of video game rooms and stuff like that? That sounds like a challenge for you.
1: Yeah, it's okay. You know, it, 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 I'm the boss, so if I really wanted to to kick my son out, I would. But you know, he's it's 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 about twelve. It's twenty degrees out, so I don't expect him to go out and play. Um, so, you know, I'll let him, uh, I'll let him, but it's, I, I did create a home office out of our bonus room and, and it's, it's weird. As you know, Chris, you work from home and anyone listening who works from home, uh, you know, whenever I, when I was at Athlon, if I'd worked from home for a day or two, I'd just kind of work at the kitchen table and it really felt like I was at home. Whereas if you've got a, a room in a, a different part of the house, like our bonus room, I actually felt like that was an office. So I didn't get up and go to the fridge every two or three minutes. Um, but this morning, since my wife and son are home, they're both, my wife's a teacher and my son is obviously in school. Uh, I went to a coffee shop this morning to, to get out of the house to get out of their way.
0: Yeah. My office at home, we've got a bonus room that is behind me. And then I've got an office off the bonus room. It used to be a storage room that we built out. So I'm in the same spot and I've got a son, of course, being a holiday who has been setting up a portable basketball hoop in the bonus room and has been coming in. From time to time, and letting me know of his three-point shooting exploits. Nice, nice. Start young. <laughs> Speaking of which, that's a that's a good lead into where we'll yeah. go today. But first of all, I we give each other a hard time. I I think people know this, but you and I are pretty good friends, and I could not be happier for you. I think the Athletic to me is the gold standard right now for sports journalism. I am a subscriber. You guys do fantastic work. I think at a time where sports journalism has gone to hot takes and five reasons why and stuff like this, it's really great to see somebody that puts in the time on the long-form pieces and things like that. I really say this in all sincerity. I love what you guys are doing with bringing these stories told in a way that nobody else is telling them right now back into sports journalism.
1: Well, thanks. And that's, you know, um, that's a big reason why I was attracted to the job. Um, you know, I had a great run at Athlon sports. It was, you know, as I've said, anyone who's asked and said on social media, it was truly a dream job and did for 18 years. I was just kind of ready for a new challenge. And, uh, I saw this job posted in September and that's and first applied back then. And I was an original subscriber to the athletic and I, I agree with everything you said. There's so much good stuff on the site. Um, and, you know, you can, you know, I'm a Yankees fan, I'm a Brooklyn Nets fan. So I can read about the great national college football writers that I like and also get local coverage of the teams that, that I follow. So, yeah. And, you know, they, we, I guess I can say we, we give our writers kind of the freedom and the flexibility to, to do things. I know like uh, Dana O'Neill, the national college basketball writer, w- went to New Zealand for a week to, to for a story we've had writer, hockey writers go to Europe and stuff like that. And that, that those those types, types of things are almost unheard of right now in sports journalism.
0: Yeah. I just think so much of what you guys do, it reminds me a lot of what the national tried to do the late eighties, yeah. early
1: nineties, whenever that was starting. Yeah. I remember that. I was thinking it was in high school and you know, they had a, they had a good idea and I, you know, that that's another topic for, you know, I don't know all the ins and outs. I know some people who wrote for them, I think they they, you know, weren't the most fiscally responsible. Um, and it was just a uh, you know, it, it it was a it was a good product. the The idea was great. The execution wasn't wasn't great. Well, it was really an idea that was probably, I don't know, um,
0: ten to fifteen years ahead of its time. Yeah, I think that's yeah. the best way to sum it up because the concept that you guys are doing now seems very, very, very similar to what it is that they tried to do.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, there's there's good. You know, the athletic, you get good national coverage. Uh, you know, they've hired away some of the best national writers that, you know, the athletics guys, Ken Rosenthal and company broke all the the Houston Astros stuff. And but but also, you know, really good local writing as well.
0: Well, let's talk about basketball. <laughs> Vanderbilt loses big to a Tennessee team that honestly is not that good. Um, I don't know what they can do at this point with the season. I just the talent is so limited um, I think that last year's team right now would beat this team, which oh, yeah. is, is I mean, very you know, telling.
1: I was, yeah, I was think, I mean, obviously last year's Aaron Neesmith wasn't as nearly as good as this year's Aaron Neesmith, and last year's Yanni Wetzel wasn't as good as the Yanni Wetzel who's playing at San Diego State now. And Simi Chateau, you know, obviously there were a lot of issues, chemistry issues or locker room issues with that. But from a pure talent standpoint, even after the Garland I- injury – that team was a lot better than this team. And, you know, it's just, uh, you know, we haven't talked in a while and we're not breaking ground here. You know, after Neesmith, it's just a shame. You know, we haven't spoken since, so I can, you know, it was a shame because, you know, you watch that team play against Auburn and, you know, with Neesmith as a superstar, Saban Lee isn't doesn't have the, the, the attention on him, so he can do his thing more and then it allows, there's less pressure on, you know, freshmen like Dylan DeSue or Jordan Wright to kind of do their thing and you could – you know there was there was some real optimism. You know, I this team wasn't gonna you know be an NCAA tournament team, but you saw some progress and you loved the fight in that Auburn game. And then uh, the Smith news was just crushing. And you know you left with a you know a bunch of bunch of freshmen and and quite frankly you know that that weren't really that highly ranked. And you know Dylan Dessou has a lot of potential, um, but he did not play well the other day from shooting the ball and. Um, you know, it's just Saban Lee is a very talented player with a unique skill set, but is not really suited to be the number one option. And we're, we are seeing what we saw last year when he's really the only offense trying to break down the defense. So, um, I feel bad for, for Saban Lee, the situation he's been put in and, and, you know, I'm sure you, you've rehashed this a bunch, but it's just, it's, it's almost unheard of for program just suffered two, uh, you know, injuries that Vanderbilt has suffered in, in back-to-back seasons. And, you know, not even to mention Cleveland Brown, who, you know, I would say is clearly the third most important player. I don't know if he's the third best player on the team, but but as far as your ranking importance of people you could least afford to lose, you know, obviously Neesmith would be one, and I think Clevon Brown is clearly number three.
0: Well, in sports roles, at the very top are very important and in football of course that's usually the quarterback nine times out of ten and you can win without an ace quarterback if you're great at other things you look at what Joe Flacco did in the uh, winning a couple of Super Bowls where he was just okay but their defenses were phenomenal but you look at the quarterbacks, I mean, they did a thing about this. And, by the way, I am getting back to Aaron Neesmith. I'm just taking a while to get there. Uh, they did the thing about how the quarterbacks that have been in the AFC title game were Flacco and Brady and, you know, they've been the same names for the last, I don't know, 17, 18 years now. In baseball, that guy is your, your Friday night starter a lot of times. If you got one of those, that's kind of a game changer. And, of course, Vanderbilt, one reason it's been so good in baseball it's because it's always had that. And the basketball, it is your, what Bill Simmons calls the alpha dog. And Aaron Neesmith had become the alpha dog. I don't think Saban Lee is an alpha dog, but he was doing great as the, the sidecar to that, and the roles worked pretty well. Now, they didn't have enough other places to – compensate for that, but you had the feeling that if they catch some breaks, they could win four or five games in the conference, which was a huge step up from where they were, and it was progress, and it was something that people could be encouraged about. But you take him out of the equation, and the rest, I mean, literally, it has absolutely fallen apart, as you've seen in the three games since.
1: Yeah, it's just, Vanderbilt's a very easy team to defend right now. You take away Lee's penetration, um, and then, you know, uh the roster, who scares you from three? I mean, you Max Evans has shown that he can get hot. He did so in the Arkansas game, and, you know, he'll hit two or three threes in a row. But are other teams scared of um, of Max Evans shooting? No. Uh, Dylan DeSue, I think, in time, will be a good player and a knockdown three-point shooter. But right now, you're scared of Dylan you, you So Vanderbilt's just a very easy team to defend right now. So, so you know, it's just... I hate saying this phrase, it is what it is. I don't, I don't really know what else to say about the team. They just, you know, the roster needs to improve. And, um, you know, uh, I know there's some guys sitting out. Um, we'll find out if DJ Harvey, you know, I know he's a talented kid. And if uh, if, if the roster can improve next year, um, you know, I, I we'll see what happens with, with Aaron Neesmith. Uh, we'll see what happens with Cleveland Brown. But it's right now it's just there's not a lot, there's not enough, not enough talented guys on the roster right now. Well, those guys
0: are complementary three-point shooters. In other words, right. yes. you can take a few looks a game, maybe you hit two or three on a good night, but you're going to take them when your looks are open because teams are preoccupied with Aaron Smith. Now, teams are just really crowding them on the perimeter, taking away penetration, taking away those looks from three a lot of times. They're not maybe them away, but they're not wide-open looks sometimes. All you have to be worried about on offense right now, for the most part, is Saban Lee and Scottie Pippen Jr. And their looks, the quality of their looks have now declined. And they're just, I mean, we, we could have this podcast all day. We're going to keep coming back to the same place. But where I
1: want to go, I wrote a piece about... Uh, I you want to say, let me... I, sure. I was I want to commend Scottie Pippen. I thought he played well the other night, uh, you know, under, he, he's been, a lot has put on his shoulders. Too much has been put on his shoulders basically for, you know, for for probably what he, he was ready for. And I think he played, you know, he plays with calm, a poise, and um, not afraid to take a shot. And, you know, I just, in a difficult situation, I thought he played well. Well, and if you're looking
0: for things and, they are few and far between. One thing, and I've said this for a while, and I continue to say, it, I think he's a pretty good offensive point guard for a freshman right now. It looks like he can play in the league on that end of the floor. Now, the defense we've hashed and rehashed, but at least there is that.
1: Yes, I agree.
0: The piece I wrote about the three-pointers um, seemed to resonate with a lot of people. And the point I was trying to make was it's really not – about the fact they didn't hit a three and ripping into the players for this and that. I think that's missing the point. The point is the way that Vanderbilt used to win in basketball games is pretty much now completely disappeared. Now that Aaron Neesmith is out. And the thing that concerns me is I don't see them out recruiting shooters to replace, uh, you know, the, the roster with, and I don't know how this gets better until they do that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's basketball. Yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of, they're different. Ways you can win. Vanderbilt historically has won without shooting. I would say that has changed a little bit in, in recent years. Um, you know, every team has, has shooters. It's not you know back in my day when I was in school and you know it was definitely a much more perimeter oriented team or shooting team. You know, there's some of Kevin Soling's better teams were, were more athletic. Sure, you had your John Jenkins in there, but you also had guys like you know Jeff Taylor who who morphed into a good shooter. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, I agree. It's about, it's put, it's about putting the ball in the basket and, and whatever talent deficiencies you might have, if you can shoot from the outside, it kind of always gives you, uh, it, it, it gives you a chance and, you know, it's a cliche. You hear announcers say hey, three point shots and equalizer. And and that's why there's been a lot of over the years, variable teams that weren't maybe as talented as other teams, especially at home that would get hot and, you know, kind of shoot the other team out of the gym. Um, so you know they had one of the best shooters in the country uh, on the team, and lost him to an injury. And you know as we talked about, when, when he's on the floor, that takes less pressure off some other guys like DeSue who who can shoot. You know maybe guys like Jordan Wright can can develop into a shooter. I think Scottie Pippen's going to be a quality three point shooter. And hey, I, I know we don't I don't want to spend too much time talking about this, but I know it's a hot topic. I will say as a venerable alum and season ticket holder. I was embarrassed when fans booed Sabin Lee for going in and not shooting a three. I think it was specifically him pump fake and drove in. And here's a you know he's a kid who's busted his ass for two years on some bad teams, and for him to have to hear people boo, I don't care what you think. You don't boo a college kid, and if people want to disagree. That's fine. Um, and I know Vanderbilt fans there's there's wide ranging thoughts on the streak. I thought the streak was cool. I don't really, I mean, I care that it's over, but it didn't really bother me too much. I talked to an older alum that I know very well who lives in New York and watches every game, you know, and he has whatever, and I said something about the streak, and he said, oh, go F the streak, who cares? So, I mean, there, there's, so people who think that it's like all people cared about, that's not true. So, I just wanted to get that off my chest. I left the game very disappointed that anyone would boo Saban Lee or whoever, I think it was Sabin Lee, for, 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 for shooting an, uh, an open layup. Um, in in a game where he's just busting his ass.
0: Well, I didn't take it as booing the players. Maybe this is well, putting, it, what, but 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 that's
1: how it's yeah, going to yeah, be interpreted. Yes, and, he, and, and there was booing, so I, yeah. I don't know how else. Uh, that's how I took it.
0: No, well, I mean, my my point is, I I I think that was the only outlet fans had to vent frustration. But I don't think that's how
1: you handle it. I, so I'm in agreement with you. I mean, th- th- this is right. I, this I, is where we are. But I <laughs> would I rather maybe yeah. someone taking a shot from the outside? they trying to three sure, but I'm not. I'm not going to boo. Um, so okay, we don't. We, again, we don't. I know you wrote about it. We don't need to rehash too much. I just, you know, you know me. I'm not Mister Like Hot Take or whatever like that. But I felt strongly that I was I was disappointed. Well, and. Here's the other thing. It's not like they went 0 of nine for three. They they
0: tried 25 times. They didn't hit them. Could they have done the last couple of minutes a little differently? Yeah, but to to put all that on college kids, I just I think that's that's sure. misplaced. But anyway, we were going to talk some baseball. Let's table that till the end of the podcast. Sure. Because there's some mailbag questions that are on basketball. So rather than skip around, let's get to those. The mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood. If you're looking for a one-stop shop to take care of your insurance needs, Josh has you covered. Call him today, 615-933-1979. Email him at josh joshathqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshumentonhq or at facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about it here. VU Seth says, does Jerry Stackhouse's reaction to losing the three-point streak shock or surprise you? I think most fans understand and are willing to be patient as we rebuild, especially after two crucial injuries, but the blatant disregard for the history of the program is very concerning. Saban Lee admitted to not knowing about the streak's jeopardy to the last minute. This seems to be on the coach. At what point do you think Stackhouse knew the streak was in jeopardy?
1: Well, I don't I think he was just defending his players. He was disappointed, like, you know, I'm not saying this because I'm defending Jerry Stackhouse. I'm saying it because it was my opinion, but I agree that he was disappointed that his players were getting booed. So that probably triggered him, like, I'm worried about, you know, ending the losing streak, not this. I'm, you know, I, I don't think he has a disregard for the tra- tradition in the history of the program. I think if you were, someone would have asked him about it in a different situ- different setting, when it wasn't so emotional, he probably be like, sure, it's cool, the streak's great, and all that. But in the heat of the battle, you know, you're trying to win the game. I realized at a certain point, gonna win the game. So um, I don't, I don't interpret that as a coach who doesn't appreciate the history of the program at all. You know, I, I came home. I didn't really follow, do any follow up reading stuff like that. I saw some quotes, so I don't want to. You know, I don't know exactly what he said, but I, from what I saw on Twitter, I just interpreted that as someone who's defending his team. Yeah, I was in the room for that. I, again, did not really have an issue
0: with, with how he handled it. I think those some of that comes from other places, which I'll probably get into in another podcast at another time. But um, for now, let's go to the next one. Raiders 1967 says, can you discuss how a member or members of the Vanderbilt basketball team could be unaware of the three-point streak? Um, well, really, this is the same question. But again, I think that the people that I think took it the hardest were the people that had played there and, and hit a bunch of those.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've never, I, you know, I, I can't speak to how they know or knew or didn't know. Um, I think, in fact. Who said it? Maybe Luke Cornett said it, that he didn't appreciate the streak or really understand it's importance until after he played. So maybe that maybe that answers the question right there. You know, these guys, they show up, you know, everyone hits threes in every game. I mean, Tennessee only hit one three. It's, It's a rarity when a team doesn't hit a three. So it's not something where it's like, wow, guys, we've hit a three in 32 straight games. I wonder what the streak is. It's just understood that in college basketball. You're going to hit at least one three in a game. Obviously, it's unique at Vanderbilt because of the, the, the history and hitting them in every game. So I'm not shocked. I'm a, I guess I'd be mildly surprised um, that someone didn't know, but I'm not shocked and, you know, how unaware kids are about college kids are about certain things. So, um, yeah, I, I don't I guess that's, you know, again, uh, mildly surprised.
0: Well, it's a product of the situation, okay? If they are contending for an NCAA tournament or an SEC title, people are going, okay, you know, they lost, but bigger picture, this program's in good shape right now. Right now, there's there's nothing much to be positive about other than you hope a couple of young players develop, and when you're in that kind of spot where it's gotten so bad, people tend to focus on stuff like that.
1: Yeah, it was a, it was a perfect storm in a negative way of of, of a team that's struggling mightily, it happening at home, in a loss to Tennessee. So that I mean I think that's why emotions ran as high as they did uh, on all sides.
0: Well, it seems like we use that phrase "perfect storm" an awful lot the last couple of years.
1: It's it, it's really been unfortunate, you know, you know, for the for, for the basketball program. I mean, it's you know you don't. I don't want to make excuses because even if this team was healthy the last two years, you know, it's not an NCAA tournament. team. Well, last year you could argue if, if Garland stays healthy and and, and then there's better chemistry, you know, that was probably an NCAA tournament team, but um, it's just, you know, it's, it's unfortunate.
0: Well, my in-laws were in town, went to the game this weekend. And I think my, my mother-in-law said in passing, like, how, how did they get this bad? And it's like, we kind (laughs) of know in our head, how it happened, but trying to explain that to people, <laughs> anything less than yeah. like 10 minutes is, is darn near impossible to do. And and then you're still like, like once you're done with it all, you're like, you know, I, I know what happened. I was there, but it still kind of doesn't all make sense.
1: Right. This team, I mean, the program's coming off back to back instead tournament appearances, what three and four years ago. It's, you know, it's not that far removed from, you know, you know, we, we talked recently as, you know, Kevin Stallings, beginning of his last year maybe a second to last year when this you know the they're one of the better top 10 top 15 rosters in the country at one point so it just tells you in college sports good and bad you know things can things can fall apart quickly and things can turn around quickly you know obviously right now it's not looking like, like any quick turnaround is, is imminent uh but it, that's the it, it really shows you it, it how, how quickly things can fall
0: apart Papa Hick 4VU says, is there anything at all to be excited and encouraged about in regards to the basketball team for the next two or three seasons?
1: Well, I, you know, I have absolutely no inside information on this. You might know more. You know, if Aaron Neesmith decides to come back and, and, and you know, I think this team could be – and Cleveland Brown comes back as a redshirt. And, uh, again, I don't have any information on that. I think this the, the core could be pretty good next year. I think you're looking at a, a, a decent team. But if that doesn't happen, then – you know, it's hard to find, it's hard to find positives. Do you need guys to take leaps? You need Jordan Wright, who I've been pleasantly surprised with by, uh, to take those, you know, you you used to see it a lot more, especially a Vanderbilt guy, you know, might average three points his freshman year, seven points, 10 points, and just gradually get better. You need some development from players, which we haven't, you know, we haven't seen, we don't know enough about, you know, the, Jerry Stackhouse' developmental program because he's only been here for you know a half a season. So if he can develop some of these guys, that that'd be a good thing. But I'm right, you know, yeah, I can't sit here and say with this roster, I think they'll be better next year than better the next year. You, there's there's no tangible evidence of that right now.
0: Well, I was told this weekend uh, by Vanderbilt that Brown is going to try and come back this year. There was a rumor about a red shirt. Okay, and I've been trying to track this down for probably three weeks, and I finally got an answer on Saturday. That is the official word, is that he is planning to come back this season. I would presume he is still another probably three to four weeks away. I think their situation, and rarely are things this simple, but I really think this one is. Develop the players around you to, to the best you can and don't do anything stupid as a coaching staff, and then they have to recruit, 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 because that chatter has been out there a long time, and that is not an idle concern.
1: Right. No, it's, it's about players, and I don't care how well you develop and how well you recruit. You need better – you know, every program needs better players. That's why Kentucky keeps recruiting, Duke keeps recruiting, and, you know, uh, you know, it's you just – it's college athletics is about recruiting great players, and it's a it helps to have a, to be well coached. Um, you'd you love for your program to be have a great recruiter and a great head coach, but you need players. Look at Tim Corbin, yeah, know? that that he's, is that's worked out pretty a well. Lot coach, when uh, uh, when he's got the 2019 2020 roster than he does when he's got the, you know, 2012 roster that, you know, that's not a great example because there's a lot of highly recruited kids in there, but they, you know, just didn't have the personnel. Uh, They were all young. Well, and that's what
0: Jerry's got to learn is that Tim came in that first year and he had – I guess his own Aaron Neesmith and Jeremy Sowers and, and another one in Jensen Lewis, I guess that would have been their Saban Lee or not Jensen uh, Mullins. All the Jensen was good that year too, but yeah. he took that talent. He maxed it out. They had some holes some places, but he used what he had and they had made a good run. They got into a super regional where they got smoked by a team that was a lot more talented than they were. That was the second year. That was that was the second year. Right, right, yeah, okay. That was the first year I covered it, but you're correct. That was the second year. There was
1: baseball before Chris Lee, believe it or not. <laughs> that
0: that is hard to believe, but I know uh, we're getting old enough where you wonder. But
1: yeah, um,
0: basically, okay. In the next year, that's when it dropped off. He had taken advantage of their experience. The 05 team. Wasn't that great. Made a run at the NCAA tournament. Kind of lost the chance in the last weekend of the year. And, and then in 06, he he reloaded. But at that point, he had built on his success. And that's when they landed the Alvarez's and the Price's and those guys. And, of course, then in the last half dozen years, they've taken it to a different level. But... Point is, even even Tim, as as you noted, didn't didn't get to it just by by coaching alone. He's a great coach, but he knew that it took more. And I think that's the thing that that Stackhouse is gonna have to uh, realize is I think that is a more important element than he has um, realized yes. so far is a good way to put it. Uh, Chester Copperpot asked why you picked the athletic. I think you kind of went into that, but if there's any leftovers you didn't get into, uh, now's the time.
1: Well, uh, yeah, I wasn't looking to switch jobs um, at all. You know, loved Athlon. It was just an opportunity that that came up. And like Chris and I both talked about it, really I really respect what the athletic's doing. And you know, I'm 48 years old and and kind of decided that if I wasn't it was kind of ready for a new challenge. And if I didn't take this opportunity, then, you know, not to say that people don't hire people in their fifties, but uh, you know, you get a little bit older and it's harder to switch jobs. And quite frankly, in sports journalism, there's not a ton of great opportunities out there right now, let alone one where you don't have to move. So I just uh really respected and I liked the staff that was in place here in Nashville. It's not like I had to go out and hire writers. You know, Joe Rexwood, I think is the best really, really outstanding column the best one we've had here in Nashville. Adam Vingan does a great job covering the preds and and John Cornyn uh, does a great job with the Titans there. So just a just a, a, a new opportunity, time for a change. I, by the way, I still I've had a lot of people on Twitter. I still will be uh, a Vanderbilt sideline reporter. I, I actually had that by contract. Well, congratulations on uh,
0: getting that one negotiated in. Not like I figured they would have an issue with it, but you never know.
1: No, I I interviewed the, the first. I interviewed with three people. that like the first person I did. They're like, well, we'll have to see. And then the next two people didn't seem to think it was a big deal. So I got it. I got it worked in. I I had a funny exchange with Jeff Miller, um, um, who most people, probably fans don't know, but he runs the IMG department, IMG Vanderbilt. So he's not a Vanderbilt employee, but he works for IMG in the athletic department. And I texted him, told him I switched jobs, just tell him my new email information. And he's like, oh, didn't realize you had a job, full time job. I thought sideline reporting was your only job. And I said, well, you know, by the quality of my work, you probably thought I was devoting a full 40 hours a week to to uh, to, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, to my craft. But um, uh, no, it's uh, j- just just a, just a weekend gig.
0: Nothing like humility, Mitch.
1: Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, <you> know
0: I, <laughs> what what I what I hear you saying is that I'm a big enough deal that I can just make demands to the athletic that are like, OK, he's Mitch.
1: You sort of, not really.
0: (laughs) I I like (laughs) how I I turned the tables on on you for a change. Put it that way. (laughs) I I like how I was able to finally leave you speechless because you've done that to me a couple of times. But let's talk baseball. the The polls came out today. Well, not the well rankings I guess is a better way because it's not like they've got a bunch of people voting on a poll but Baseball America made Vanderbilt number one D1 Baseball made Vanderbilt two last week Collegiate Baseball in December I think made Vandy two so again the experts are speaking and they were expecting another run at a national title which is no surprise
1: yeah, and I I in a text thread with someone, you know, I, I'm not disagreeing at all with this or arguing, but it's it's crazy that a team that basically is, you know, losing six of six of nine, I would say, if I'm gonna call Duvall a regular from last year, which he pretty much was six of nine regulars from the batting order. It's very Alabama esque, like Alabama losing eight starters on both sides of the ball and being a preseason number one. So yeah, I mean it's I'm sure we'll we'll talk more about this and I know you got a lot planned for your site, but um, I think it's as good as I felt about the front line pitching in a while. I, you know I don't, there's some guys need to step up. the Ethan Smiths of the world who's got potential, and you know there's there's some bullpen parts that probably need to step up. But as far as the f- front line starters and closer, that's as good as I felt about, you know uh, Vanderbilt heading into a season. And then, you know, uh, I think Cooper Davis is, a, is We saw enough of Cooper Davis last year to, to be pretty confident that he's going to be a very good outfielder. I don't know if we saw, we like what we saw of Isaiah Thomas last year, but his, you know, he still has to prove that he can be a, you know, an SEC caliber outfielder. I think he can be. Um, heard great things about Dominic Keegan last year, even though he didn't play. You know, there's been there's a lot of chatter that he almost unseated Julian Infante at first base later in the year, even though he's a catcher by trade. I think, you know, Ty Duvall, if he can get a little bit better BIP luck that we've talked about for years, he'll hit for a higher average, but he's been a clutch hitter. So, yeah, I think I'm looking forward to it. It's, you know, love the the previous crop of guys, but it's always kind of fun when there's a new new crop taking over and it feels like there's just – Obviously there's a lot of turnover this year, so that there's it's reason for optimism optimism to be excited. it's just fun that there's a lot of new faces as well.
0: I think the best way to sum up the pitching staff is this. There might have been years where they might have had more arms that you felt you could trust, maybe like eight or nine. Maybe now that list of proven commodities is more like I don't know, a half dozen or whatever, but I think in terms of the innings you can cover with those arms, I don't think I've ever gone into season feeling they can cover more innings with outstanding arms than this one.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't listen to the whole thing, but I listened to part of your uh podcast with Aaron Fit and I kinda like the way you explained it. It's you know, it will always be as simple and neat as you tried to explain it there? But you know, you got X innings in a weekend, you know, twenty-seven outs. To cover you know if you get this this and this you know there's weird things happening someone only lasts two innings but if things go to form you know Vanderbilt's gonna have as many you know outs covered by really really good to elite pitchers as they probably ever have had d1 baseball last week
0: released its Vanderbilt preview and its projected lineup and Here's how these things work. They basically go to Vanderbilt and say, hey, who are your starting nine right now? By that time, they knew Jason Gonzalez wouldn't be with the team. So here's the lineup they submitted with maybe a, a surprise or two in here. Uh, the, the big thing was that Austin Martin got shifted back to third and all that. So that was probably the most interesting thing. But the way they lined up on paper were DeVallet catcher, Keegan first, Ray second, Martin third, Carter Gung, a true freshman, at short. Left field to right, Davis, Isaiah Thomas, Matt Hogan, and then take Colwick as the DH, which surprised me because I thought that might be Spencer Jones. Colwick was a kid that that came there as a shortstop, and I I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I always thought maybe him as a field guy first rather than a hit guy, but I, I may be totally off base on that. But Did that was the thing that surprised too? me.
1: Did he play some outfield in the fall? I.
0: Well, you know the the way fall ball goes is they play all over the place sometimes, yeah. but and so he probably did. Um, but yeah, the the Gonzalez thing, I think that shifted the complexion of the lineup a little bit because you've got him in there. You're going, okay, well, there's some some power sources in there between Martin, the way he came on. Thomas has, I think, has got massive power, and then. Gonzalez has it too. Duvall's got a little bit of pop. Keegan's got some. But I think the subtraction of Jason Gonzalez from that lineup and effectively, I would probably say that's where Colwick gets a spot if he doesn't. um, Either that or or probably Matt Hogan is, is on the outs. And I think Hogan had a decent fall with the bat. So that's a place where the switch from Gonzalez to whoever replaces him is potentially a pretty significant drop-off. We'll wait and see. They get talented kids, but you know, we did an all-decade team, and one thing that really stood out to me is how often a lot of players took a couple years to develop. Like you think of Steven Scott as the end-of-year Steven Scott. Well, his freshman year, he had, I don't know, 25 plate appearances and I think hit you know 100 or something like that. Point being – Even good players take a while to develop, and I think the Gonzalez subtraction there—you could see that be significant, particularly early in the year.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I was going to make that point. You kind of just made it in a different way. As young and new as this team is right now, there's only one true freshman to projected starter, and there's usually more. You know, there's usually you know two or three true freshmen. Starting even even on a veteran team, and Gonzalez, you know, disappointed that he's not going to be on the team. To me, I, I did not consider him as a sure thing. Like I thought he would start, but you know, he he hit well earlier last year than before getting squeezed out. But I I wasn't I wouldn't chalk him up as a surefire plug him in four or five in the lineup and be confident he's going to be able to hit good SEC pitching. I'm not saying he wouldn't. Again, he got off to a good start last year. I know he's a power hitter, he's going to strike out a lot. Maybe I'm underselling him. Uh, but you know, I was hopeful that he could take that next step. Um, but yeah, I mean, this team's going to be different. You're not going to replicate that power. It's very difficult to replicate the power this team had last year. Um, you know, Mark Austin, Martin, though, we probably based on what we saw late last year, wouldn't be surprised. What do you think if he hits, if he hits 15 home runs, I wouldn't be surprised. No, I, I wouldn't either. I think that he is.
0: He showed pop at the end of the year. That was like literally the only flaw that you could find in his game was he hadn't done that. Uh, Am I
1: interselling Gonzalez there?
0: Well, here's my thought, okay? From memory, he had about a 460 on base percentage a year ago, which there was some noise in that. There was a very high BABIP. He also strikes out a lot. So I'm I'm say I'm 98% confident that was coming down, but that's a pretty darn good starting point. Yeah. He,
1: he also, also played, played, yeah, and he's, he's also shown some
0: things defensively. I I think that's
1: a big loss, but potentially. Yeah. I mean, I can it, see how it's better. not, but it's leadership too. Yeah. Leadership too. So, yeah, I'm yeah. not trying to, you know, I like to obviously he you could point to his um his, you know, the way he stayed Engaged, even though after getting beat out last year, has uh, really helped keep this chemistry strong last year. You got a kid there who probably thought he was going to, you know, play fifty something games last year, and by all accounts, he was as engaged as as any player who played every day on that team last year.
0: Yeah, after that, my two really big concerns right now are Carter Young at short. I think
1: the glove is way ahead of the bat, but even if you were already- hey, the, the fact that he's already been placed on a uh, our, uh, you know, on a roster for the Cape, does that suggest that Tim Corbin's telling certain people that he's a really good player and is good enough for the Cape? Is that how that works? I I do believe that's uh, that's
0: probably an, an excellent guess there, Mitch. Uh, but here here's my concern: we've seen this over the speed of the game gets young players early. Okay, it, yeah. and especially at a place like that where guys get to short or get get home to first faster than you're used to, those kind of things. And then all of a sudden you have to rush your throws a little bit. Then all of a sudden those things get wild. There's an adjustment period. And that's in college baseball period, that's particularly going to be the case at a high impact defensive position. I'm not saying that he can't handle it. He comes in with a reputation, I think, as an excellent defender. And all joking aside, I think the point you made is a really good one, but that that is something that almost always happens. I've seen it too much. Number two, Justin Henry Malloy was, I think, the guy that last year, if you're looking at true freshman at this time, he was the bat that people thought might crack the lineup and might start. He did start early in the year at third base in that first series once or twice. I think especially between the tournament and especially once Gonzalez was gone, and he's a corner guy. Uh, I was a little shocked to not see his name in that lineup.
1: Right. And you never know, could be motivation, you know, Tim Corbin or whoever, quote unquote, shared this information with, with D one, or, you know, could knows the players see this stuff. And, it could, you know, you, you don't know how these things work. So, I the fact that he's not listed as a potential DH or third baseman or first base, whatever, I, you know, I still wouldn't be surprised to to see him in the lineup as a DH and opening day.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with that. You see, there's been plenty of years they had a guy that didn't start for weeks or maybe a month or two that ended up being a big Xander. Wheel great example there. Uh, right. But the other and the other thing too, and and Tim Tim told me this. I think last year when I was asking about the freshman he said you know we had no idea what Brian Reynolds was going to be we had no clue that he was going to hit the way he did as a freshman he said you know we put him out there one day and all of a sudden it just takes off he said we didn't know that was coming so surprises sometimes work the other way as well
1: yeah no doubt I mean I don't know if you want to use the term gamer it's a cliche but it's true I remember Anthony Gomez was like that early in his freshman year. He w- didn't start, but every time he'd go in, I just happened to go to a lot of early season games, I think, with my son that year. I was like, this Gomez dude hits line drives. That's all he does. And then he kind of worked his way into the lineup, and he hit for three straight years. Or, you know, um, So you just, you know, usually we kind of hear rumblings in the fall, this guy can hit, or that guy, you know, this, is, this guy is going to help on the mound. Um, But until the really, you know, the season starts and you're seeing live pitching from another team, you you don't really know. The MLB
0: Network right now was doing it; it, its top players at every position, and they were running through their their top ten at every spot. And they had Reynolds. I don't know if he was consensus top five overall, but I know somebody had him at four. I think somebody had him at five. He is starting to be considered already one of the best left fielders in baseball, which is crazy, given that he didn't even make the opening day roster.
1: Yeah, I'll make it. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't work at Athlon Sports anymore. But it, as you know, Chris, I worked through the production of our baseball magazine this year, and we had Brian Reynolds on our Pirates cover. And I just remember seeing that come off from our designer. I was like, that. You know, I remember. It seems like just two or three years ago seeing that guy hit line drives at the middle at Hawkins Field. And now he's, you know, starting a left fielder for the Pirates. Mitch, the garage door
0: below me just opened. Uh, my office is above the garage, and that is my wife's not very subtle of telling me it is time to take her parents to the airport.
1: So with that, when I, all I know is if I'm asked to help my in-laws leave the uh, premises, I do all I can to to get moving on that front. So I understand (laughs) where you have to go. We will keep that between you and I, but in in all seriousness, thank you for joining us today.
0: Congratulations again on your very well-deserved promotion and give out your new Twitter handle
1: and anything else you'd like to throw out there. Thanks. It's very complicated. It's at Mitch light. You so always keep things complicated. I went from at Athlon Mitt to at, at Mitch Light. And um, thanks for having me. Good to catch up. It's been a couple of weeks and hopefully we can get on a regular schedule again.
0: Y- you really kill it with these creative Twitter handles. I got to hand it to you.
1: Yeah. Although someone, someone did uh, reach out to me on social media and said, I missed an opportunity to be like, I could have been the athletic Mitch or something like that. <laughs> no, the athletic- uh, that's Light. a good point. Maybe you should
0: think yeah. these things through a little better. And, yeah. and maybe I should shut up and, and get out of the office and in the podcast before I, tick somebody off so hey thanks for joining us he's mitch light of the athletic i'm chris lee of andysports.com thanks for listening we'll catch you with more episodes this week